0: Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere, Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. Stormlight Archives! It is
1: here. We are in the home stretch, folks. We have Stormlight Archive number four coming out this November. Lots of things happening. We get it. There's global pandemics. (laughs) There's
0: There's a lot happening. Things
1: going on. But what you can always fall back on and what we know we are falling back on is the Stormlight Archive.
0: This reread has really become a refuge this year, I feel and I have just so enjoyed diving back in to the Stormlight Archive in this last month. We have been slightly delayed in this last month by life events. And so we are now back on track with our original timeline for our reread.
1: Basically, we are looking at one month per book for the rest of the reread and are trying to give ourselves a little gap month uh, right before... Stormlight number four comes out. In this episode, we are going to, and for pretty much all the episodes, but in this episode, we are going to split Stormlight Archive book number one, The Way of Kings, into two parts.
0: Yeah, the books are just a little bit too big to tackle all at once. There's so much in them. So this episode, we are going to do sort of the first half-ish, in which we're including a prelude, prologue, parts one through three. And interludes one and two.
1: And then we will be back next week for our thoughts on the finale of Stormlight Archive, the kind of back half. So without any more prelude or prologue from us, (laughs) this is hashtag all spoilers all the time. You know this. We know this. Let's dive in to Brandon Sanderson's Way of Kings.
0: What was your... Biggest thought, biggest takeaway from everything through part three.
1: One, I think that the biggest feeling I had on this reread was how much I enjoy the beginning, the prelude, the prologue, the first couple of chapters, and just all the setup that is there when I remember on the first time being completely overwhelmed by everything and the only like having that feeling of like, oh, that was really good at the end.
0: Yeah, uh, 100%. I have so much to say about this because <laughs> I felt exactly the same. It is incredibly daunting as a first time reader to the Stormlight Archive to have so much set up and. Just the fact that the prelude is 4,500 years before the story actually starts, like, that amount of time is just impossible to wrap your brain around. And so then starting the story and, like, trying to keep that in mind, having been so far in the past, and then, like, as a new reader, I'm kind of, like, keeping it in mind and trying to connect them together and stuff – Like you said, there is just so much packed, just jam-packed into the first, like, three sections of this book. It's insane.
1: I think that we have said this multiple times but this is brandon sanderson's master work his magnum opus the heart of the cosmere is built around this story on rashar and our characters that we follow are a so well realized and so deep that we really have come to see them as you know, the quintessential aspect of like what makes up the Cosmere or what is possible in the Cosmere are these stories that begin right here. And the idea that you don't really get a good grip on any of the characters right away is such a bold choice to just be like, no, my, my readers will get it. Like, they'll be with me. You don't you don't stress you know the uh the studio or not the studio but the company the publisher yeah who's always going to be like we need to get right to the action we need to boom you know started off with that like uh, that heist motif like you did Mistborn we're so ready for that again Sanderson and he's like no we're gonna go back double Jesus time (laughs) like that's how you can think of it is Jesus was 2,000 years ago this is double that amount of time I mean
0: you can imagine him just being like when I told you I was gonna write an epic like, it's going to be epic. I meant epic. (laughs) And I was thinking, too, how interesting it is that not only do you start off this book with a prelude and a prologue, two intros, but then the first chapter is not even from Kaladin's perspective. It's from a different character's perspective. So, you have three chapters, three sections to start off this series that are not even really diving into the characters and the story that the book is going to be about. So, again, I think it's a little bit daunting for a first-time Stormlight reader. I found a really interesting comment from Brandon. It's in his annotations for chapter one, which I is not in my Kindle version, I don't think, but I found it online on his website. And Brandon addressed this and said, quote, it was suggested several times that if this chapter were from Kaladin's viewpoint, the book wouldn't feel quite so overwhelming at the start, end quote. But he specifically wanted to convey more confusion and chaos and to give sort of an external viewpoint of Kaladin before diving into Kaladin's first person point of view so that we get to see him As other people see him first as sort of this competent, natural leader. And then, in addition, having that chapter from a third-person point of view to begin with and then coming back to it later in the book allows him to give kind of a reveal of, like, the true events of that day.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole Kaladin arc and cycle basically revolves around this event, which is this military unit of something like 16 to 30 people that he has built up around him, he's bringing on the young kid, and they are part of the non-shattered plane Alethi wars that are just kind of going on, or battles that are going Squabbles, on. Squabbles? Yes. Really? Border skirmishes, all that type of stuff. He He's in the uh, the backup group, and... His journey is so much centered on this point, and then we kind of split off in two different directions where we move forward in time from that point and we take Kaladin to the Shattered Plains while also exploring backwards or up into that point of time from Kaladin's youth. And that is the style or the mechanism that Brandon's going to use throughout all of these different Stormlight books. It almost always has this feeling of there's a big event and then a character's life goes in one direction there's
0: like a fulcrum that turns on
1: and we explore that with many different characters and it just starts with kaladin this time i think it's a great use of literature and like the structure of a book it's by far one of the greatest examples of how an outline becomes a story and how outlines are so important to... The more complex your story is, the more important your outline is. Like, all of this stuff works so well because it's all there. Like, this... Nothing is a mystery. I think we'll talk about this a little bit more, but there's so much given to us in this first book that it's impossible to say, like, oh, Brandon was just, you know, creating on the fly. Like, it got popular and then he... You know, started writing bigger and bigger, like a TV show that will go unnamed. But <laughs> you know, there's things happen like that where they they don't necessarily know what the end game is when they have the beginning in mind. And in this case, it's so clear that Brandon has this fully thought out, well prepared, and then just peppers in so many details that you can't possibly be expected to have it in one reading if you have not reread the stormlight archive you have to or you have to listen to these podcasts one of the two things (laughs) do one or the other and we'll try to help you out
0: yeah for sure highly encourage a reread i definitely have gotten so much out of this reread already
1: we both kind of had the same big thought big takeaway do you have a rough cut anything that you're not satisfied with or you want more of from the stormlight
0: I mean, not in particular, not really, like, if you're really going to press me, I would say that it is a long intro, and I love it, actually, but I do think it makes it difficult as a new reader, so that's kind of my one, like, ugh, doesn't make it easy to, like, recommend this to a new person and, like, get them through it.
1: They have to have a lot of trust in you. Like I think, you know, our first Cosmere kiddos were definitely like family members who would just be like, you need to read this because I'm your older sibling. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that it's a tough sell and it's never the one we recommend first, but it's certainly the one that is most important to get to and to get through that early intro.
0: It's worth it, but it is hard for me to like wrap my brain around the just massive timelines in this series. Um, I don't know how many times I've read the prelude and the prologue. I just read them, like, I've read them probably two to three times each time I've read the book, just those two sections, just, like, trying to wrap my brain around, like, what's happening, what order it's coming in, and what all of the important things are in those sections, because they are jam-packed with important characters, information, interactions, like literally every single sentence is important.
1: And we're going to pick apart that because I know that your favorite moments have a lot to do around the prelude and the prologue. Do you want to jump right in to some of your five favorite things from the Stormlight Archive?
0: Did you want to talk about your rough cut?
1: Well, I think that my rough cut is more about my own personal failings than anything else. Not Brandon. I'm not I'm not criticizing you, Brandon. I know you're a big friend of the pod and I would like never do that. The biggest criticism is myself. Yeah, but I do remember having the feeling upon the first read that the thing that I wanted to get back to was Kaladin's story. And I was always, or even just like the Shattered Plains in general, that's where the action was happening. You had Dalinar and Adolin and Sadius and obviously Kaladin and the bridge crew. I think that that was such a draw for me the first time. And it's still great. And it is still where a lot of the action is happening. But now those other moments of the story and I'm talking about Shallan I'm talking about the interludes I'm talking about the prelude and the prologue I'm talking about all the different non-Kaladin things to me now I'm like screaming for more time yeah every scene away from Kaladin and I specifically recall it being the reverse when I first read through so I really think that's just a you know problem with myself
0: but no I mean I think that's totally true and I think probably everyone who has read these books has had a similar experience, maybe not exactly the same uh, preference for character, et cetera. But that's why I think these books are so important to reread because it's a completely different experience Mm -hmm. each time you read them. Because like we've been saying, there's so much packed in. And the first time you're reading, you're really just trying to get a handle on the story that there's so much that you miss. So I definitely found coming back to it this time, I was able to notice a lot more things about the interludes and the epigraphs Mm -hmm. in particular. Um, I find in all of Brandon's books, I think it's really cool that he does epigraphs and how meaningful and like poignant and how much they add to the story. But I find it difficult to read them because they take my brain out of the flow of the story. And so I can't really like, incorporate them or, like, really comprehend them when I read them in the flow of the story. This time around, I found I was able to notice a lot more things in the epigraphs that are interesting and important that made me go, like, ooh, oh, that's a clue. That's a clue.
1: I think that concept, because I've always loved that structure of, like, starting a chapter with a quote that somehow alludes to the chapter and you know i imagine was maybe just like inspiration for the author to start um you see this a lot as a form of writing but what brandon does by making the epigraphs notes in world or taking a letter and dividing it up over 10 chapters and making that all in world stuff is so perfect again because it's just like Uh, master artist just like layering in colors on top of like what he's already done and then he comes back in and he like adds the shade then that's where the real magic is happening and so i am a big fan of those epigraphs as well and really my only problem with the stormlight archive is that i'm not good enough of a reader to take it all in at once and just you have to go through multiple times i think this is like read through number four or five of the stormlight for me so Even reading it a bunch, there is still more that you can take out of it. And that's super impressive, uh, but also means it's a really big endeavor. Absolutely. So come with us on the podcast as we talk about (laughs) our five favorite moments from the first half of Way of
0: Kings. I am going to start just right at the beginning with the prologue which is the first time that we see the celebratory feast uh, commemorating the treaty between the Alephi and the Parshendi.
1: But not the last time we see that.
0: Correct, which I love. I love that we get two different looks at this same event. I think that's really cool. Um, But I noticed this time, I don't know if I've ever noticed this before, almost every single herald, has some kind of presence at this feast which just emphasizes how important this event is Elokar is in conversation with two of the heralds they are described as quote a dark-skinned azish man who had an odd patch of pale skin on his cheek and a thinner alethi looking man who kept glancing over his shoulder end quote the first one is definitely Nalan, who we've seen since then.
1: Yeah, pale skin, patch Dark on the Dark skin,
0: pale patch. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: a key identifier for Nalan. also goes by Nail and many other names. Herald of Justice, right?
0: Yes. I'm not sure who the second person is supposed to be. I saw it um, sort of postulated online that it might be Kalak.
1: Namesake for Kaladin. Yes. Yeah, I'm just throwing fun facts in here at Thank you.
0: Thank you. I like it. <laughs> and then we believe that Yezrian is present as the beggar that Zeth runs into at the beggar's feast. He's kind of mumbling, and Zeth isn't sure if he's drunk or crazy. And he says, quote, have you seen me? End quote. And then he laughs and starts speaking in what Zeth believes to be gibberish,
1: and we've also specifically get the word gibberish used when it applies to Dalinar when he's having his high storm visions. I wonder if the language he is speaking is the is same. the Donchan? Yes, the Donchan is what we assume it to be. That's in. interesting. So I think that the... Yezrian's also interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Seth holding Yezrian's blade? Correct. Yeah, that's the blade that gives him his specific powers. Uh, and so I really like that idea that Yezrian would both recognize the the power or the familiarity of his own weapon mm. uh, before him. Mm-hmm. And this just kind of contrast between Zeth, the assassin in white, and Yezrian, the beggar. Just like, oh, how the mighty have fallen, and oh, yeah. how the fallen have become used. One
0: time king of heralds and herald of kings is here at the beggar's feast. Yes. Yeah. Um, And then there is also mention that Shalash's statue is gone from the sort of pantheon uh, shrine present in most good homes. As we know, uh, Shalash is traveling the world slightly crazy like all of the heralds destroying uh, artwork of herself. So this indicates she has already... Come to the Alephi Palace and destroyed her own statue. Who knows, like, how far in the past this was? Maybe she was, like, just there that morning. You know, it could have been that all of the heralds have been walking these halls more or less at the same time.
1: And that just obviously points out A, how much work Brandon is doing to paint on those extra layers, and B, how significant this moment because i kind of see it like hoid who is always trying to show up
0: for important moments for important moments the yeah. heralds were like high drawn. concentration of heralds yes they're
1: <laughs> drawn to this moment and i wonder obviously we know the whole story comes out of this one event the death of gavilar and and all of the different emotions and things that will lead to the events of the Stormlight Archive. I think it's really fascinating to note specifically when are there more than one herald in a room, and what is going on contextually. So as we think, as we see things unfold in future books, we should really keep an eye out for like, what draws multiple heralds together.
0: I mean, I think this is maybe the only time
1: I until the end of the Oathbringer together. exactly yeah and yeah so, but
0: like for the most part they are all kind of doing their own things
1: and I think specifically I was mentioning like future books oh, oh going I see. forward I see. because obviously the heralds are going to become more important yeah as the books go on so I think like anytime you see multiple heralds together like at the end of Oathbringer you should also note like that's very important for Oliver Shard. That's very maybe Cosmere significant. Focus in on those moments with multiple heralds present.
0: For show, sure. how about you?
1: So these are in no particular order, but I certainly remember the moment that the book really captured me, and just I was like, okay, now we're all in. This is whatever the end of act one i don't know exactly like where it would fall but when dalinar catches the
0: oh man chasm
1: fiends claw to save elicar is a highlight in action writing in getting you into the story of these people you have elicar the kind of young king you have dalinar the old you know uh
0: Everyone's talking about how he's, like, lost his step. Yeah, and
1: And then Elikar takes off, and they're in, like, a little race, like, up to the top of a spire so that they can look out, and they're, you know, feeling like Dalinar's young again, and he's running up the hill with Gavilar, and he lets Elikar win, and there's all this just, like, interesting stuff going on, and then the Fiend breaks down on their party, and they're all caught unaware, and you have what Adolin will eventually describe as him viewing or seeing the blackthorn mm-hmm. for one of the first times when elicar is down he's about to be crushed dalinar says it in a line something along the lines of this is going to be the end of a the the king killed on a routine hunt right it's all gonna fall apart from this and only i can stop it and then that's when he starts taking off to catch that chasm fiend's claw as it comes down it is Just a moment of awe. I know that it has been the center of a lot of fan artwork. There was a fan animation that was done.
0: That animation is so good.
1: Very good. We'll maybe link it in the uh, show notes for you if you want to check it out. It's pretty short, just like 90 seconds or something. But just a fan creating some animation based on this scene. Really, really impressive in terms of the pacing, the writing, the character intrigue. And of course... The action and just like from that moment on, I was just like more, more on the shattered planes, more gigantic monsters, more shard plate, more (laughs) shard blades. Like I just wanted so much more, and it really like stays with me as like that's a moment I still I want to see. Like if someone can make that happen, you know, with the the power of multi-millions dollars and lots and lots of time and artists and people working together to bring that to either the small screen or the big screen. I don't care. Any screen. (laughs) I need it to happen because it is just like cemented in my brain is one of the key moments that made me a Stormlight Archive fan forever.
0: It's a great moment.
1: What about you? Top five moment?
0: Another thing that I just totally love about all of the Stormlight books, is the interludes. Mm. I love them all. Just every single time I get to one of them, I find myself thinking like, oh yeah, oh, I love this one. And then I get to the next one and I'm like, oh yeah, oh, I love this one.
1: (laughs) Certainly also better on the reread as well, because a whole bunch of Cosmere things happening in those interludes.
0: Yeah, just so much good info. I love the way that they allow for a expanded view of the world that we're in, I like that it gives a little uh, a little spice to the story. You get to discover all the different flavors of Rashar and just the expansiveness of the world. So in this particular section that we're talking about today, parts one through three, we get interludes from Ishik in the Pure Lake who shares my love of sunshine and meets with our uh, 17th Shard friends. Mm-hmm. Something I noticed on this read is that Ishik um, has been introduced to the members of the 17th Shard, and he thinks that they've given fake names. Oh, yes. he <laughs> It's so funny. He hears their names as... Vau or Veo and Temu but I realized that he is just mishearing their real names Bown and Demu
1: <laughs> which is wonderful on so many levels but I think that the best is just the fact that in a large enough world in a world like Rashard that we're seeing multiple cultures across vast geographic distances. This happens all the time.
0: Oh, yeah. There are, depending on your language of origin, your primary language that you have learned and and other languages that you have passing familiarity with, there are still sounds that your ear or your brain literally cannot hear or like cannot process cannot differentiate Mm -hmm. between because they're unfamiliar to you and you're unpracticed and unlearned so i just love that this little sort of idiosyncrasy of our human brains has been incorporated into this interlude that they've really told him their real names first of all like Bad idea, dudes. You're just wandering around the Cosmere looking for Hoyt and just handing out your real names. Yeah, but why do they
1: care? At this point, <laughs> they are significantly above a random Pure Laker in their mindset in terms of their abilities and, and Cosmere potential. Yeah,
0: I guess it depends on how much they're trying to hide. Maybe yes, they're not different. really trying to hide.
1: I would suspect that they don't really care about hiding too much because they can, I'm, guess, I'm guessing here, but they can just go away from Rashar, and then all of any Rasharian problems that were created don't matter anymore. True. And they're not the ones who are hiding. They're the lookers.
0: That is true. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was a super fun moment (laughs) from the interludes that I'd never noticed before.
1: Pretty cool. Pretty dang cool. Okay, I have another moment, which I think, again, is one that is seared into most readers mind and it's a big significant moment for our character of Kaladin which is when he faces the everstorm when he is strung up and left to die and his fate is really permanently intertwined with Syl permanently intertwined with the bridgemen because this is when most of them will come around to his uh, his goal of survival i think that it is a beautiful example just the whole setup about how he wants to save the bridgeman he comes up with this hold the bridge on the side maneuver that he thinks will like shield them a little bit from arrows that causes a chain reaction of death among the other bridgemen because he didn't have the full strategy, such as it was, not a good strategy. We can criticize Sadius later for his strategy of just using bridgemen, but he messed up the strategy of the attack to the point when many, many people died far more than just his bridgemen, and this is his punishment to be judged by the high storm. Now, we know that sill is gonna stand off against the storm father oh such a great Kaladin. image yeah i mean there's once again just lots of potential for the creation of this moment when you have i feel it's also when sill starts to solidify as a woman mm-hmm. a little bit more or as like more of a, person. a little bit
0: less sprenny yes Less of a wind spren, more of an honor spren, there you let's go. say. A great way
1: to and it's So she makes that decision and that choice earlier than Kaladin does because he didn't, like, say the words until the next, well, until, like, part four. And so Syl is really choosing something here. And as we learn more about Syl and her backstory in Oathbringer, it's a big decision uh, because she is this spren that is held up, you know, the daughter of the honor spren. Um and to choose Kaladin in this way to face off against the Stormfather, it is a big deal. It's a big deal in the spren universe. Uh and it's also the moment that I think most clearly summarizes Kaladin's journey in just a simple line. Uh it's right before the high storm hits and Sill and Kaladin are talking about his death or his potential death, uh, and Sill asks, "Do you want to be a miracle?" And Kaladin says, "No, but I will be for them. The Bridgeman. His sacrifice is always about other people, always about trying to help others, and it's this choice about being willing to die or being willing to fight for." The benefit of others that is what kaladin has always been struggling with and what he has been doing he doesn't want this position he doesn't want this role he doesn't want this punishment um but he's willing to do it all for those other people i really think that's like his mission statement you know his his through (laughs) line uh through all of these works and it is captured in that one moment and made clear with that one line of text so that's another of my favorite moments from way of kings
0: great moment
1: hit me with another one of yours
0: i would just say all of the epigraphs but in particular the epigraphs that are death rattles Mm -hmm. there are just so many clues in those small, small lines that, again, like I said, previously I just couldn't like fully get in my brain because I was trying to read the story that I was able to pay a lot more attention to this time. And I think just having now Words of Radiance and Oathbringer worth of information to sort of connect to these um, death rattles is helpful. So just a couple that really stood out to me from chapter four, quote, I'm dying, aren't I? Healer, why do you take my blood? Who is that beside you with his head of lines? I can see a distant sun, dark and cold, shining in a black sky, end quote. Obviously, foreshadowing what we later find out that Teravangian is draining people's blood in a hospital and killing them
1: in hopes to get the death rattles in hopes that they can provide a edit to his diagram
0: which is just horrible
1: yeah i mean lots of different levels of horribleness (laughs) going on here
0: but like it's right there spelled out for us like he literally tells us exactly what's happening um and there's another one i'm not remembering what chapter it's on now but there's a similar one. Where the person saying the death rattle is like, I know what you're doing, and I am not going to say what I see just to spite you for killing me.
1: Well, and in this one, we also have what seems to be a clear allusion to Lyspren. Cryptics. Cryptics, of course. And the cognitive realm on Rishar with the the head of lines and the distant sun dark and cold shining in a black sky.
0: Yeah so I think there's like a question of what is happening when these death rattles are happening. Clearly there's some uh, connection that's being made. I originally thought it was like all the way through to the spiritual realm and I think that's what Taravangian presumes because that is the The connection to the spiritual realm is what's presumed to give you foresight or Mm -hmm. foreknowledge. But this obviously seems like it is maybe only a connection to the cognitive realm.
1: Well, maybe
0: it goes all the way through and he just died before he was able to, like, say anything about the spiritual realm.
1: What you just said really sent off a couple of signals in my head because you're right. It doesn't necessarily seem to be as much about foresight or the spiritual realm as it does about the cognitive realm. But Teravangian definitely thinks that the death rattles are giving access to more spiritual realm, which would allow you to see the future as he, or predict the future as he did in his great state. But what I if,
0: also wonder if, maybe you were just going to say this, sorry. I wonder if this person... Was beginning a hell bond with this cryptic spren. And similar to when Yasna almost dies in Words of Radiance and her spren like pulls her into the cognitive realm instead. Maybe that's what's happening here. And that's why this person is seeing into the cognitive realm instead of the spiritual realm. Because that like baby bond mm-hmm. has kind of enabled them to do that a little bit more easily.
1: And it tries and fails, obviously, and the person dies. Dies. I was kind of thinking along the lines of, we know that something is manipulating future sight, and that is why all the warnings about never trust anyone who can see the future. We believe this is one of the unmade, and I'm just kind of wondering if, instead of the cryptics being present because they were specifically bonded with this one individual what if they're just attracted to the lies that are being told to Taravangian? Mm. be like you think you're getting this insight from the spiritual realm but actually you're getting insight from this twisted unmade
0: that's interesting that's
1: just more of a i think your reading is probably closer to accurate you know they they were in the process of bonding or maybe you know they have like candidates, the cryptics, and all this brand. They have like candidates of people that they're seeking, seeking out. Yeah. So I think yours makes a lot of sense, but I also just am interested in this concept of like, terravangian is hunting for Future Site, but we know that Future Site is corrupted in some way.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's still a lot of questions around why exactly. There is this strong prohibition in foreign countries against attempting to predict the future. And we see that all the way, all the way back. um when Dalinar is having some of his visions, even people from these previous times mention like it's dangerous to try to see the future or we can see the future, but we shouldn't talk about it, mm-hmm. which sort of seems to hint at, just the sort of movability of the future and like maybe we don't want to talk about it just because it changes all the time and then people get mad at us when we're not correct
1: yeah i think the first time that i really felt that it was clear and spelled out happens in the second half of the book but it's when dalinar is talking about the storm wardens and just how like they kind of are predicting the future but it's too useful not to use them yeah and i was just like oh that seems to be problematic. <laughs> like <laughs> obviously that's like the you know the the line about the devil, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Be like, yeah, it's really useful to be able to know when the high it's like storms slippery are coming. Slope. But yeah, where does that lead you? Why don't you tell us about the other death rattle quote that really jumped out?
0: Yeah, this one is from chapter 8 and it's going to lead us into a little bit of speculation, but it might be fun. Quote, "Victory we stand atop the mount, we scatter them before us, their homes become our dens, their lands are now our farms, and they shall burn, as we once did, in a place that is hollow and forlorn. End quote.
1: Damn.
0: Yeah, and I thought, with the reveal in Oathbringer, this really seems like uh, perhaps this person giving the death rattle is having a vision, sort of like Dalinar's, where Mm -hmm. they're going back in time and living through the arrival, perhaps, of the humans on Rishar. And this is sort of their story of destroying the singers yes, and uh, exiling them. It's unclear, they say, and they shall burn. It's unclear if that is meaning braids, maybe, or just the shattered planes, which is, you know, hot
1: yeah i think this could be as you said a glimpse into the past it really kind of has that feeling of the humans taking over the land of rashar i think that there's also just kind of this hint that this is like how wars are always fought like i don't know if it goes all the way back you literally could be saying this about any human or a parchment at any time in any war just be like Yep, we did it. We are now victorious. They're scattered before us. Uh, Their homes become ours. Their lands are now our farms. Like, it's just like, that's what people always do in war. So I think there, it is probably connected more to what you're saying, that like first arrival, but I think the beauty slash horror of the Stormlight Archive is how often horrible practices are repeated
0: throughout Mm. history. Yeah, and just like different perspectives, right? Because yes. from the Rasharin perspective, they are fighting for their home, their land. It's you know theirs. They have a right to it. But as you said, if you go back in time through history at any point, at any time, basically, like at some point it wasn't yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you took it from someone.
1: And there's always this kind of back and forth and then just as quickly as... You can sympathize with the defenders, you know, change a little bit of perspective, and you can probably sympathize with the attackers. Exactly. Always interesting, those death rattles. And as we learn more about the diagram, these become really great little tidbits that are sprinkled throughout both Way of Kings and Words of Radiance, I believe.
0: Mm-hmm. Kicking it over to you
1: okay i really think that not necessarily as strongly comparable to my other two moments because i was really into those other moments but the first time that we see shinovar is in this early interlude
0: risen's interlude is so good
1: yeah it's jam-packed with a bunch of stuff but I honestly found the best part, and maybe this just says more about me than anything else. I found the best part to be her, her babish. I don't know.
0: Oh yeah, it's like babsk.
1: Yeah, uh, the a her lot of confidence. Yeah, Yeah, the her mentor who's teaching her the life of a merchant and a trader, and he has this line about how he's discussing with the shin and the shin say you know when other people come they all want horses and you just want chickens which
0: chickens
1: chickens are great (laughs) um i just found it so interesting the way that he very clearly explained like no that's not what trading is about i'm trying to oh, take something yeah like
0: his philosophy yes exactly yeah.
1: i'm trying to take something that has as little value as possible which from the risharian side is like the soul crafted metal uh you know you take wood and you soul craft it and you turn it into a metal that has virtually no value, no value. to the Rasharians. and he takes it over the shin and they love it because they can't create metal and they need this soul cast and then the reverse is true as well. They think that their most valuable thing is horses. And he knows that it's chickens because they're easy to manage. They, you know, easy they to They are and much
0: lower costs to him to yes. both care for and like transport. And yet they provide food. They have such great uses for people.
1: And the further he goes from the shin, the more valuable they become while basically remaining the same difficulty to keep. Yeah. And I just found that, like, simple philosophy to be so telling, not just of Risen and how merchants work on Rashar, but also about, like, what do people value and why do they value it and why do different people value things differently?
0: And I like that he frames it like that to Risen as well, that he talks about his profession of being a merchant as... Almost as importantly, getting to know the people that he's trading with. Mm-hmm. And like, like the fact that he forces her to cut out a patch of grass and carry this quote unquote, like, stupid grass around with her to learn and have an open mind and become like more used to different types of cultures. Because the more that you know about the life, you know, fully and completely of a particular person, the better you can assess their needs and wants and trade with them successfully.
1: And we will see more of Risen in Words of Radiance, right? When yeah, Words of the... Radiance
0: and Oathbringer. She so... comes back a few times. Her and Lift are like the two that pop up time and again.
1: And I think while Lyft had a big show at the end of Oathbringer I think that Risen has a potential to have a well, big Well, Risen
0: has a big scene in Oathbringer too it kind of gets lost Forgotten. I think Yeah, so like, much I vaguely remember it but I was like speeding through it to be honest <laughs> like I was speed reading it I was like Risen I don't care about you right now
1: but she has is it in an interlude or yeah okay I
0: but it's like a, a really dense interlude yes. 100% that is important
1: Definitely feel that, and we'll talk about it on our reread of Oathbringer. But I am saying, like main character level, like she'll have some type of interaction, yeah, down the road as well in the main work, not just in interludes, and graduate from an interlude character yes. to become a main character. Because
0: just like Lyft, uh, Brandon is planning on writing a.
1: Risen. Interspersed, yeah, novella.
0: Mm-hmm, basically, yeah. Edge Dancer, but for Risen, that is going to be called Wander Sail.
1: <gasps> Wander is not in this part, though. I've read it, but that chapter is not in this episode. We will talk a lot about Wander when we get there.
0: Right. Yes.
1: Not this episode, though. Don't get me too excited. That was it for me. Uh, so, Risen, back over to you. Tell me about Yasna.
0: Yasna is amazing. I truly, no, I truly enjoy all of the scenes between Yasna and Shallan, and the, just like the exchanges that they go through, the perspective that we get. Yasna like, presenting these philosophical quandaries to Shallan, and then watching Shallan sort of work through them, and go through this process of, you know, as a young person sort of out in the world for the first time assessing, again, her own beliefs and like Vivenna in Warbreaker, going through this process of questioning and like becoming the person that she will become. She has been previously a, you know, quiet, shy girl who has been completely trapped basically on her father's estates. And now she's out in the world sort of learning about the world and the way that it works. And I just find those exchanges and the relationship between them to be really uh, satisfying.
1: I think that's why, just to jump ahead a little bit, but why the initial death of yasna at the beginning of words of radiance was so hard for me is because i was like no we just got to the good part like we yeah. just started to get into their relationship i didn't really want Shalon to go off on her own even with the perspective that i now have reading those books this build is a slow beautiful build over the Entirety of this book to get us to a point when Shalon and Yasna have a very, very interesting and worthwhile of exploration relationship. Like I want a lot more of it, and when it's taken away at the beginning of Words of Radiance, I'm just like so hurt. I'm, and obviously, you don't know what the reveal is, but
0: and I think the thing about Yasna is that she is going to be a focal character in the back half of the Stormlight Archive. I think right now she's even slated to be like second to last or something. So she's down there a ways. Up until this point, we really don't have very many scenes from her perspective. And we just sort of hear about her and hear about who she is and the qualities that she possesses from Shallan primarily in this book, but also from like Dalinar on the Shattered Plains. It's very, it's made very clear in those scenes that Dalinar has a very close relationship with his niece, that he regards her very favorably. She is, you know, talked about by her family members uh, in very complimentary terms as being, you know, very smart and well-respected. Um... And so I, it kind of gives her this like allure of mystery <laughs> that I think is part of the reason why I just find her so fascinating is because we just sort of see her in glimpses through other people's perspectives. Um, and I just always want to know more about Yasna.
1: And now that she is queen of oh, man! Alethgar. i forgot about that yeah uh don't forget because book number four is coming folks and yasna is our queen
0: oh man that's so great <laughs> what is your last thing
1: you just talked about yasna i want to talk about the other half of that coin or the other half of that equation which is Shalon. and as i said really on the first read through I wanted to go away from Shallan and back towards the Shattered Plains. And on this read-through, it's just become so much more enjoyable to see how much is given about Shallan's backstory and what Shallan is capable of and how her powers are developing. You know, I'm so enraptured with the sill and the kaladin and the bridgeman <laughs> and is like oh my god he's running and the arrows are not hitting him it's so incredible well at the same time the same thing is happening to shallan and because well
0: but even more so it was so clear to me during this read that it's so obvious that shallan is already a radiant
1: yes like she's which further I down the path
0: at all like the first one or two times i read this book i was just like what i don't know what that means but it like says it right there she's there's some comment about the thing that is 10 heartbeats away or whatever she's like oh i could have just used that weapon i have that's 10 heartbeats away you're like oh obviously i should have known that was a shard blade."
1: why do you have a shard blade is the question and then of course the answer is well the answer is twofold yeah because (laughs) Shalon is a character of mystery and i feel like that mystery is made so much better as i'm reading through and seeing all these little pieces of both her personality but also her backstory like her brother gets his own chapter in the interlude yeah non-blot yeah and he is saying how as a youth their father destroyed everybody else except for non While Non is talking about how much pleasure he is gaining from ripping apart animals. I think it's like a little Kremlin. It's
0: like, yeah, a tiny little crab. Yeah,
1: so he's like pulling apart a crab and he's saying, you know, I wish this crab was bigger so that there was more resistance and I could feel it die better Ew, in my stop. hands. Okay. <laughs> However, I bring that up because clearly they're all broken yes but they don't see themselves that way but they clearly identify their others Shalon says about her brothers that they're all broken in specific ways and then Nam Blot says the same thing like everyone else is broken but not me i'm totally fine and it just reminds me so often of like The coping mechanisms or the blinders that we will put on to not see the flaws in our own life. We
0: all do what we have to do to get through the things that we have to get through.
1: Yes, but it is only when Shallan confronts the truth at the very end of part three or starts to confront the truth um, that. She begins to, I guess, reclaim her radiantness since she has already yeah. been with Pattern for probably the longest. We think that, I mean, we know that Hoyd visited Shalon when she was very young, and we think that the it bond seems like, started yeah, then. It's from
0: when she was quite a small child. Yeah.
1: So definitely before Kaladin, and just the way that it has manifested in her own life because of this trauma, because of this kind of um, forced memory gaps that she has given herself the lies that she tells herself um her development is a little bit slower but basically Shalon's story in this first half is very easy to either a overlook b not understand or c have that feeling of like this is an important i need to get back to kaladin and dalinar yeah and in reality it's all there just like the heralds in the prologue it's just it's all right there She's a Radiant who is struggling to remember that she's a Radiant.
0: I think her story is so interesting and well told because it mimics the way that people become more interesting the more we know about them. Mm-hmm. So at first glance, everyone thinks that Shalon is just sort of a, you know, soft-spoken, timid, light-eyes and... Similarly, the reader, when you first read Shallan, you're kind of like, uh, whatever. I mean, I don't, I'm not that interested in you. What are you really doing that's that interesting? But the more that you learn about her, the more that you see that she is actually super fascinating and so multifaceted in the same way that the characters in the book start to learn about her and go like, oh, maybe there's more here. Maybe you are more than you seem.
1: So, yes, you love Yasna I love Shalon, and her story in this first half is great. It ends, part three, ends with yeah. her poisoning and the revelation to Yasna that she is there to steal the Soulcaster, the death of Capsule, And it's just a, a wild ride with it. You go, man... I really should have been paying more attention to this girl in parts one and two.
0: Yeah, well, in <laughs> her whole story with the cryptics. Yes. How she's like seeing them and running yeah. from them. I call and... it her
1: descent into madness. She's not technically going mad. No. But the way that it is presented, and I say descent into madness, because the person who is presented as kind of going mad or kind of losing their mind is Elicar. And Elokar and Shallan are dealing with the exact same thing, which is the cryptics walking around in the background, infecting their minds and freaking them the F out. Yeah.
0: Again, like if you're paying attention to Shallan's scenes, you spot what is happening to Elokar.
1: 100%. Yeah.
0: If you are skipping through Shallan's scenes... You don't get it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I'm not saying like literally I was skipping over them, but But you know what I'm mentally I'm just not paying as much attention. Yes. Yeah. And that is why I think books are in some ways more powerful on the reread. Yeah. You you can always hear this about movies when you're like, oh man, I watched it again and there was so much stuff I didn't see, especially if it's like a twist or a mystery or something. But When it comes down to it, if you watch a movie three or four times, you've got the gist of it. But if you read a book, it's dependent on you. You are, like, also in control of the little TiVo. Choose your own
0: adventure. Choose your own adventure a (laughs) little
1: bit, but also just, like, kind of like the TiVo when it's, like, do-do-do-do-do-do, and you go faster through some parts. Uh And so, like, you're able to do that in a book. You would never do that in a movie. Unless you really hated some part, but like you literally can rush reading yeah. through some parts and then you miss things that then just become so much better when you slow down and you go back and you reread it with the full knowledge. That's what I love about Shalon in this book specifically. And what I think is so great is that Brandon keeps doing it with other characters in future books. And so, like, I thought I learned my lesson the first time. Oh, obviously, Shallan's important. But then when it comes to Oathbringer, you know, I'm overlooking Teft or I'm overlooking the characters like Taravangian. Where... I
0: guarantee I missed so much in Oathbringer. That's the only one that I've only read once. It's... No, didn't we do it twice? No, I've only read it once. I think you did reread. I. It is so emotional. Yes, I literally have not been able to bring myself to read it again because it just like ripped my heart out the first time I read it. So even though I love it, I have always just been like, oh my God, I, I can't do it. I can't do I it Maybe we should again. just have a
1: sad Cosmere reading of all the passages that made us cry. Oh my God. It'll it just be an episode of tears. That's what it'll <laughs> be called, the episode of tears. Uh- <laughs> We won't do that to you. We'll do it to ourselves. Just like when we're having a really bad day, we'll just be like, let's read about Teft again. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go on to those Cosmere connections. There's a bunch, way more than we're going to mention here because this is a huge amount of work. But just in this first part of Way of Kings, what was going on?
0: Well, we've spoken about the 17th Shard. We obviously see... Bown and Demu and uh, Galadon hanging around looking for Hoid.
1: There's also another character from Mistborn Era 1. Demu is number one character, but there is a small Blink and You Miss It character named Felt. And this is Blink and You Miss It in both of them because he is a very small role yeah. in each uh, Mistborn and in Way of Kings but he's working as a spy for house ventur his name is dropped in mistborn era one and he is like a scout for dalinar's army in rishar no we kind of know how demu at least we have a good assumption about how Damu's role allowed him to eventually join some of the bigger Cosmere stuff. But this Felt character, we know basically nothing about. Is he even from Scadriel? I don't know. He could have been world hopping before that and was just like uh, a mini Hoid character who's just like in a bunch of these important moments. But Felt also.
0: He is there. Yeah. Connection. (laughs) And then you wanted to make a connection between... Another connection between Scadriel and Rashar in the form of some technology.
1: Well, I didn't pull this out. We have talked about these things all separately, but it was a Reddit user who pointed out the specific phrases uh, from Risen's interlude when she is talking about a device, a Fabriel, that is able to basically life sense uh, the simplest an alerter yeah it alerts you to um things that are alive nearby and it's so valuable to them because they can know when people are coming upon their small little group um and so it can save them in the dangerous world that exists as a merchant a traveling merchant seen as hugely valuable but we also get is from misborn secret history that Kelsier, when he is traveling across the ocean and eventually comes upon the castle fort that is being held by the people from Cell, they also have a device that is very similar to the point of virtual—it seems like it's identical. I I don't
0: think it's identical, but it does have the same gemstone.
1: Yes. Okay, so let's just very quickly— put the two together. From Rishar, Risen's interlude, says, quote, she hurried back to the tripod with the Fabriels box. She slid off the wooden top and removed the large helidor inside. The pale yellow gemstone, at least two inches in diameter, was fixed inside a metal framework. It glowed gently, not as bright as one might expect of such a sizable gem, End quote. So that's Yellow, gemstone, two in inches, metal framework. Metal framework. Then we jump over to Mistborn's secret history. Brooke, can you help me with this one?
0: Quote, Kelsier crept up, cracked it, and was rewarded by the sight of a larger chamber where a small group of guards were setting up a strange device. A large yellow gemstone, the size of Kelsier's fist, shone in the center, glowing even more brightly than the walls. That gem was surrounded by a lattice of golden metal holding it in place. All told, it was the size of a desk clock.
1: And then the Ars Arcanum mentions in Way of Kings that, that is specifically a fabrile called an alerter. An alerter can warn of a nearby object, feeling, sensation, or phenomenon. We're guessing on either what sprint is trapped or how it's, its settings, basically. And so what I believe is that the alerter was being used by those people from Cell on Scadrial with technology from Rashar, and they saw it go off when Kelsier approached. Now, Kelsier's a cognitive shadow at this oh, point. Yeah. They saw it go off when Kelsier approached. He got nervous and was like, I need to hide. And I think he did this is a thing when he like sinks into the ground like all the way up to his nose, which is just great imagery. But... Um, It goes off and they say, could it be a shade? And shades come from Threnody. (laughs) So to me and this person on Reddit, they pointed out this might be the most Cosmere moment we have seen so far. If this Fabriel is actually from Rashar.
0: They do sound extremely similar. I mean, the size of your fist, I guess, is maybe a little bit more than two inches in diameter. Yeah. But
1: the key to me is that for Kelsier, it is glowing brightly and then for risen it's barely glowing at all and that would be a reflection of the amount of people around it because in the sellish world oh, there's maybe. a bunch of guards and a bunch of people in this fort that are all giving off life sense i
0: thought it was just like maybe the difference between the cognitive realm and the physical realm mm, that could be it's gr- glowing brighter well. in the cognitive realm
1: My idea is that it was working as the device is described and it's like glowing brighter because there are a lot more people around compared to Risen when I think there's only her Babesque and maybe one other person. But
0: well, it sounds like there is a caravan of some type, but it's unclear how many people are in the caravan. So that's
1: just a thing to look out for when you're doing rereads of both Secret History (laughs) and Way of Kings.
0: We also obviously see Hoyd here. Yes, he is here as Wit, who is insulting people and being nice to Renarin.
1: Now, I love Wit. We'll talk even more about him as we mentioned in our Second Way of Kings episode. But Wit is presented in a way where he seems super weird to everyone. That is around. A
0: bunch of people are like, he's a little strange, yeah. or like, he's very different from previous wits we've had.
1: And so you know something's up. You eventually get the reveal in our second episode that his name is Hoyd, and so that's confirming everything. But I just love this idea that Hoyd acting as wit. Is also because we know from Oathbringer that he was like subtly encouraging Shallan or maybe not so subtly he was like actually encouraging and like directing Shallan on the path that she needs to go and then we see in Way of Kings yes both the first and the second half but we see him directly help Renarin in this moment making bringing him up to the level of the other light eyes when he's always felt down and below them he helps dalinar specifically when sadius is planning Mm -hmm. i think it's the speech about like his investigation yeah he's like you need to watch out there's a bunch of stuff going down yeah and then later in part four Kaladin, and gives him his flute so he's helping all of these people that we know are Radiants, and i just love the presence of wit he at the very end of this book he gets his own uh chapter He gets his own chapter at the ends of Words of Radiance, I believe. So he and he's in a bunch of Oathbringer. This is probably the most hoid that we are exposed to anywhere in the cosmos. He
0: obviously has the biggest presence here.
1: And I just love this idea that it starts with a character whose job is just to insult people uh, and to not even be like the fool in a traditional kind of like you know, medieval course you have the jester. Uh he's not a jester. Like he's the king's
0: wit. Uh yeah, because insulting people is beneath the king, so he has to have someone to do it for him. Well and to like even out I just I, I
1: don't know, I love that idea of just like, you people are too high and mighty, so I need to force you down a little bit, but also the people who are low, I need to bring up a little bit, like Renarin. I, I just think that there's Obviously, a lot going on with Hoyd that we don't know about, but his portrayal of wit to me feels very authentic, I guess, in a way of just like how much of wit is Hoyd, how much of Hoyd is pretending when he's playing wit, and there's a lot of characters that Hoyd plays across the Cosmere, and I just kind of wonder how much of a character wit is. Good question. Okay, so you know that we're gonna come back next week finish off our way of kings then there will be a gap as we reread words of radiance and then we'll come back dual episodes once again however last episode we asked the fans for some of their returned names and their names of uh, shard blades basically we just wanted cool names from the fans <laughs> And so we wanted to uh, check back in with them and see what uh, they came up with for some of their names.
0: All right. So some of the returned names we got back. And I asked people, like, what's your favorite return name? What return name would you want? And then, like, what do you think your actual returned name would be? (laughs) And uh, Matt replied, what I want, Nightcloak. What I would actually be, lazy reader.
1: Excellent. Nightcloak is pretty dang cool.
0: It is cool. Angie commented and said, what I would want, raccoon hands, and what I am, anxiety face. Which kind
1: of also makes me think of a raccoon. <laughs> Raccoons got that kind of like face that looks like they're always like in the middle of thieving or something. A True anxiety. enough. And then what's the last one?
0: Ashutosh, sorry if I totally mangled that, said his returned name would be Strongbane the Vengeful, Destroyer of Evil. That's great. Yeah, really committed to it. I like it. Combination
1: with uh, Nightblood as well. Just yeah. Like bringing in the Destroyer of Evil. Powerful, powerful. Now, going over to some Shard Blades, Carson pointed out a good thing that we should just mention. He said, I wouldn't dare try to change her name, I would just ask. Her, what she is called, but he wants to play the game. So, if he had forged a sword like Nightblood, he would call it Death's Tears, which is badass.
0: Very cool. I also just like appreciate what a nice person Carson is, just like really respecting the blade. Yeah, so. he's, he's
1: recognizing that it's like that's a dead spren like mine. Yeah. We can't just be like giving them other names. That's not how <laughs> things work. That's a person.
0: Brad would name his shard blade Soul Screamer.
1: Terrifying, yet very accurate for what a blade does in this case. Irving uh, said his blade would be called Safeguard.
0: I like that.
1: Protecting. Yeah,
0: noble. Evelyn would call her blade Heaven Piercer.
1: Which I feel is... Got a lot of depth because of what we know about like honor being dead and the blades kind of dead. Like, yeah. was heaven pierced and the blades
0: slicing through the spiritual yes. realm? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's good. It's, Very, cool. it's good.
0: Good job, Evelyn. <laughs> and then, lastly, Timothy's blade would be Ati's claw.
1: That's probably the most badass. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's like a combination of yeah the.
0: Crossing worlds. Yes,
1: a little bit of uh Game of Thrones in our Stormlight, but I won't <laughs> spoil anything with that. We'll just say long claw and Ati's claws pretty pretty on point.
0: Do you have a returned name or a shard blade name that you would like to share? Well, when asked
1: for return names based on how we have been living the last few months here in quarantine <laughs> i came up with the return name of netflix the binger <laughs> because that's that's what i would be doing be like that guy binged really well we should make him returned and i know that you have maybe a couple what do yeah. you got
0: I've spent a lot of my quarantine time thinking very deeply about both my returned name and my Shardblade name because this is what we do now.
1: Yeah, this <laughs> is our life.
0: And I was originally inspired to ask about Shardblade names because Elokar's Shardblade, I love the name of Elokar's Shardblade. Sunraiser? Sunraiser. Yeah. Which could be Razor like raising the sun up. Could also be razor, like a razor blade, like it's a sharp piece of the sun, but it could also be razor, like raised to the ground. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was super cool. So if I had to, like, I would pick his blade's name if I could, (laughs) but if I had to pick a different name for my shard blade, I thought of Lion's Fire cool, or Heart's Flame.
1: Ooh, I like that one.
0: Heart's Flame. Yeah.
1: Okay. What about for your return name?
0: And then my returned name, I tried to think of the primary qualities that I like about myself. Okay. To like highlight. And I came up with Hope Spark the Joyful.
1: Wow. That's really nice, actually.
0: Or Joy Flame the Hopeful.
1: There you go. I like both of those. I like Hope Spark because that... Just kind of rolls off the tongue. I could imagine people being like, hey, Hope Spark, you know, in your <laughs> court of the gods. Just yeah. be like, Hope Spark, we're going to go over to Hope Spark's palace and like play some games. I mean, yeah. It's going to be nice. We're going to check out some paintings. Uh, but I love the idea that you are Hope Spark wielding Sun raiser. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool.
0: Thanks. Thanks for playing along also, everyone. It was just so fun and entertaining to... Read everybody's comments about their return names and their shardblade names. So, thanks.
1: We will be back next week to finish off Way of Kings. Please, if you have not, start your reread of uh, Words of Radiance. Get on that. Get yourself. In I know. Gear.
0: There's a few of you that are already rereading Oathbringer because you've been sending us questions about things that happen in Oathbringer. Thank you for sending us your questions. We will get to them when we get to Oathbringer.
1: Yeah, which is probably going to be like August.
0: We've got a couple months. Yeah.
1: Brooke, can you take us away?
0: Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination.